Well, welcome back to another episode of the Boombasticast with the one and only Alexander Hawk and Mr. Matthew Fisher. Woo! Woo! Bye! Now, uh, now today, now today we are going back to one of uh, our tried and true uh, favorite things to do on the show. At least it's mine. I, I think uh, Matt likes it too. Tried and true, favorite thing to do. I don't know about you. You're a poet over there, dude. Hey, I'm only a poet because I have a song in my heart. That's beautiful. I had a booger in my nose, and it was an unfortunate deal where I thought I got it. And record, Butterfuko hit the record button and fucking started it up. And it was like a, a mad dash to try and get it out of there while the camera was recording. <laughs> But uh, it's going to chill for the rest of the show and take a seat and watch and enjoy. And uh, that's a special Patreon perk, ladies and gentlemen. That booger pays top dollar for that seat. So, yeah, one of our most beloved segments, the top 10 AD segment. Uh, This one comes in pretty close to the heart on this one, you know. I know this gentleman worked on a film, not quite unfortunately, with Alex directly, which I heard was part of the reason he kind of went into decline. But they worked on the same film, just not in the same scenes, you know. And that should should I? I'll let you take it away with that film and the actor. Okay, um, I had the uh, honor of being a part of the uh, film uh, Bermuda Island, uh, which uh, was uh, created by um, the Mahal Empire. It was directed by Adam Worth, and um, the actor in question is Mr. Tom Sizemore. Uh, Tom is definitely one of my favorite character actors of all time. Yeah. Uh, while he was uh, also in Bermuda Island, he was in another film that I did, um, Trio Bloody Murder, which also we didn't have any scenes together. But again, it was another project that I had tied to him. Um, of course, unfortunately, uh, he did pass away recently. And that is why we uh, decided to do this episode uh, about Tom. Because uh, a lot of people gave him a lot of uh, crap, especially in recent years. Because a lot of the films that he did recently uh, would uh, are more independent, you know, smaller budgets. And a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, pretty much dumped down on him because of his history of drug abuse and and other things as as the reason why you know kind of declined uh as as an actor mm. uh but even though i mean we we all have things that we battle against and unfortunately tom had had addiction i did not know um where he was in his battle well whether he was uh, trying to uh, was getting off it or he was still battling with it on a daily basis. But when it gets down to drugs, it's always the monkey on your back. Even if you do become sober for how many years, there's always that chance that, you know, it'll come back. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Tom, uh, he had a brain aneurysm. Uh, He was in a coma, I think, for almost a week. And then uh, they had to pull the plug because there was uh, no hope for him, which... Again, deeply sad me and a lot of other people because a lot of people in the community had worked with him and became right. very friendly with him and his family. 
and uh, it really hit uh, hit the community hard when uh, he passed. So this is a tribute uh, to Tom, and I uh, hope that uh, if there is such a thing as an afterlife, that he has found peace, and uh, and that he's finally able to uh, find some peace that he didn't find in life. I think so. I think that ultimate high is when your soul lifts up out of your body. You know what I mean? I think everything else goes away type vibe. Yeah, it's, I don't know where he was at with sobriety. I've seen a couple of his last videos. Um, I know he was doing an acting class and I think that's kind of the videos from that is like the last thing. And, you know, whether he, you know, whether he was, you know, using or was just dealing with, you know, the fallout of using for so many years, you know, it's kind of neither here nor there. I feel in a situation like that, you know, it's an unfortunate uh, loss, a super talent for sure. I remember that uh, Bobby De Niro paid to put him in rehab at one point, I think after he, and he said, you know, he sat him down and was like, look, you're a fucking incredible actor and you're going to kill yourself with drugs. And uh, I guess that moved him enough to like, get him in there and get him clean. And he's kind of gone back and forth and he, he's kind of had, you know, uh, a, a lifestyle that's been in and out of the TMZ photogs, you know what I mean? But we won't talk about that here today. We're going to, we're going to celebrate the man with some of his better hits and some of the hits that we enjoy that nobody else does perhaps as we like to do it. The bombastic cast, you know what I mean? But uh, another in- intense actor, you know, we, we, we recently did an episode on Ray Liotta and, you know, the same kind of vibe of where like, and, you know, Chris Penn, you know, Chris Penn and, and those, these two gentlemen have, have a lot in kind of common in their vibes and stuff too. And it's, it's interesting because like they're, they're almost the secondary kind of folks in a story or something like that where like, you don't really appreciate their, the part they play until later. You know what I mean? But like very, very good. Like all three of those dudes are superb. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh Sizemore uh, superb, man. He, 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 whenever, you know, he played a lot of like characters that were tormented, whether it be war, whether it be drugs, whether it be whatever, you know what I mean? Like he was great at those tormented characters, unfortunately, because there's so much of himself within, you know what I mean? Um, but for sure, you know, it's truly sad. 61, was it? Or no? I think Leota was 61. Do you know how old Tom was? Uh, off the top of my head, no, but I am very certain that he was in the 60s, whether it was 61 or 65 or somewhere in between. I'm pretty sure he was in the 60s. I'd have to check and double check. But, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's – he's definitely one of those actors that uh, he always played a certain type of character and he always played that character very well. And probably a good chunk of the reason was because he himself was a person that dealt with a lot of demons. And – when you're playing dark uh, characters, uh, having real life experiences dealing with your demons, it does help to you know, and probably in the long run, he he lived as long as he did because of uh, filmmaking. 
because, you know, he, it was probably a release for him, a way to exercise those demons, a way to tr- keep himself going. I, I, he ended up doing a lot of films. He has, I think I counted 26 films that are currently in post-production, pre-production, filming, uh, that he's all connected to. And it'll be a few years that we will still have movies coming out with Tom in them. And, uh, and the thing was that, uh, as, as I said, it was a shame and I would have loved to see, uh, how much farther he would have gone. But, uh, we are here to, of course, talk about some of his greatest hits, his accomplishments. And uh, the things that we remember when we think of Tom. You know, one thing I'll add to what Hawk was saying before we roll into it is like whenever we do these 10 AD episodes, it always it's like a retrospective of life and art in a way where it's like you know these films are around forever. The the, the art that is created lasts forever. Like when I was going through Tom's filmography, I go, oh, I never seen this movie. I never seen that movie, and. I bet he was actually pretty good in this. I bet he was good in that type deal. And like, even though he's gone, filmography lasts. So he'll all, they'll always be there for uh, entertainment. And I can always stumble into a new flick and maybe a new performance from Tom that I can go, oh, shit. Maybe that should have been on my top 10 AD list. Maybe we'll have to revisit. You know what I mean? But that's yeah. kind of the beauty of film, man. You know, it is everlasting. Once you make something and you put it, you know, take a little bit of yourself and put it into something like that. You do kind of last forever, I feel, in a way, as long as you're, the, that art is still being showcased after you're gone and it can still hold weight and value and uh, creative, artistic boom. You know what I mean? So, yeah. with that being said, we venture into this episode and tribute, right? And right? Tribute? Yeah. We'll tribute to yeah. that. I think all the top 10 ADs are pretty much in tribute to those folks and it's a yeah. We're talking about them in lovingly, uh, lovingly good times, the things we appreciate about them. So, without any further ado, Alexander, do you want to start with your numero tenno film? Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, now the uh, this movie, he does have a uh, pretty much a small role in it. Yeah, but um, very memorable, uh, which I appreciate. And also, I found interesting that he was uncredited in this film. Why, I don't know, but uh, he was. And it was Enemy of the State. Now, that was a Gene Hackman, Will Smith um, film. uh, And Tom Sizemore, his role was at the very beginning of the film and the very end of the film. He played an Italian mobster that Will Smith was uh, going after, being a lawyer, going after him and dealing with... um, him trying to do some shady dealings. And when Will Smith finds himself uh, stuck dealing with uh, the real crust of the entire story, the real, you know, um, uh, bad guy, mm-hmm. that he decides to uh, make a confrontation between the mob boss and these other people who are trying to get this videotape that... Uh, that Will Smith had. And of course, the, the, it, so he sets it up that, you know, his enemies end up killing each other, which 
I have to say, I've always been a fan of those kind of scenarios where you have, you know, two different warring factions going after you and you set it up so the warring factions take out each other. Right. And that's pretty much what they do in Enemy of the State. And Tom Sizemore is in there. He's over the top. He's he's such, you know, an arrogant SOB, you know, getting into Will Smith's face. But, you know, he, he just did it with such relish that, you know, like, he can't help but like him. Even though he's playing a despicable character, he can't help but, like, eh, it's Tom. I mean, that's the thing about Tom was when he was playing these characters, no matter how despicable he was, he also couldn't help but like him. Right. He he always had kind of a likability to him, no matter what what character he was playing, and 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 that was because of his charisma. Yeah, and uh, and that's why he brought his number ten, a smaller role, but uh, a role that I I enjoyed, and and I thought uh, he deserved to get a little bit of a nod. I agree. Yeah, you brought up uncredited. He was also uh, uncredited in Point Blank, which I kind of had next to my number ten spot. Um, a couple the uh, the later ten nine and eight I think are I I listed movies that I like for special reasons, um, but I did put next to them movies that probably should have been put there for quality or whatever. And next to my ten was Point Break, and he he plays the DA agent in that who's like undercover having to live the fucking drug the meth life, and uh, doesn't like doing it, but does it for his job. You know, you always assume these undercover agents are just fucking living the fantasy life, loving life, and uh, he's he's proving that they don't exactly do it. But my number 10 is uh, Big Money Rustlers, all right? Uh, now, yeah. that is an insane clown posse film, the sequel to Big Money Hustlers, you know what I mean, written by Violet J. Joe Bruce uh, of the Insane Clown Posse. Uh, he did two films. Uh, I, I've been a big fan of the clowns for a long time. You know, we have a show on the network called Wicked Juggalo Pod Trash. If there's any juggalos listening, go check that out. You'll dig it. Um, but I, I always enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, there's cameos all over it. Hop it in real quick. You know what I mean? And uh, he just happens to be one of them. Uh, he plays a, a fantastic character that goes by the name of, that's a very deep character. The name's Tom. All right. So it was hard for him. And uh, I believe if I, it's hit like a, a dude roaming through the desert. Like one of the main characters is roaming through the desert and he like bumps into Tom Sizemore, who I believe plays himself, if I remember correctly, who just happens to be stranded in the desert trying to like talk to his agent on the cell phone or something, even though it's a Wild West movie. It's a zany film. Both movies are very zany. Fun fact behind those movies is I've talked to uh, Jumpsteady, uh, Joe's brother, uh, and I threw my hat and I said, I'd love to do the third one, Big Money Thrusters in space. And uh, they have the films of, of mine because we've been going back and forth for years. And they uh, he did say I was a contender in the running. So if the film ever happens, but he, he doesn't happen to think that the film ever will happen. Uh, due to circumstances of involvement of multiple people that aren't there anymore, I think is the deal with it that are usually big parts of the story, but are no longer there. But if it ever happens, your boy could possibly direct and that'd be kind of a bucket list deal for me. So that's kind of why I have that so high up on my list, but Alexander number nine, 
for you? Number nine. Yeah. Number nine uh, is The Relic. Ah, um, classic. Yeah, it's a it's a fun horror movie that uh, uh, and you know you got Tom Sizemore playing a cop who's trying to uh, figure out what's going on. A barge comes in where there's a lot of uh, you know um, you know bodies torn apart, uh, and 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 the. Um, they find that uh, most of the brains of each of the victims are gone, and of course he's he's trying to figure out what's going on, and uh, he hooks up with the female scientist who you know is the one that figures out that uh, what this creature is, which is um, kind of like a hybrid. It, the creature was like a scientist that went uh, to this kind of tribe to uh find some kind of like secret uh relic yeah and 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 of course the end result is he becomes kind of this creature that morphs and and, and creates and keeps on adding things to himself mm-hmm. and um Tom's great in it I and mean, he he plays the character very straight laced um I mean, he has uh, has some good jokes in it, but uh, what I liked about it is we all know Tom's character has a tendency. Uh, characters he plays has a tendency to be over the top or big um, um, and bombastic. Uh, uh, bombastic, actually. Yeah, I was say you don't know that word. You should. <laughs> What's going on here? But 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 the thing is that you know he he plays his role in this very uh, toned down. Which I appreciate because it also shows that he's not a one-trick pony. He can modify his performance uh, during, dealing with whatever you know film he had. And uh, I have to admit, while I do enjoy when he does play those over-the-top characters, yeah, I I really do appreciate when he you know tones it down and becomes more inward. And I think that's. He actually is shows his real acting chops when he pulls back instead of going for the over the top, um, yeah. you know, act that you know he's been known to do. Yeah. How about you? What uh, do you have for number nine? My number nine is a little independent film called The Lich. Okay. Ah. Um, now I, I have a spe- directed by a good friend of ours, James Balsamo. You know what I mean? Um, this was, uh, I'm, I'm kind of biased to this one. This is the first film that I collaborated with James Balsamo that I worked with him, so to speak. I know we did Groundhog with him before, but as uh, an associate producer, the first time I was an associate producer on a Balsamo flick and, uh, you know, he was a part of this, and it was a great honor to kind of be involved in uh, what way it was, you know what I mean? I was never on set with Tom Sizemore, you know what I mean, like the Hawkman, but in a film, a part of a film, you know, that, that, that had him in it. And I don't know, I could have had a, I don't know if I acted in The Lynch, I could have acted. I know I was definitely an associate producer. I've acted in a few of uh, Balsamo's projects, associate produced a couple of them, and uh, uh, Jimmy's a good dude, always liked to uh, be in being uh his films they're a lot of fun but the lich good times dave stein too showed out you know what i mean 
good times, good times. But the Lich definitely, uh, go check it out. Um, could only be outdone by It Wants Blood, which was, uh, quite possibly one of my favorite James Balsamo movies of all time, uh, that I think me and the Hawker both associate producers yeah. on and had acting in it. Maybe our acting put it over the top. You know what I mean? Of course. Got us in suits. We were all dressed up to the nines. Very nice. Um, and my next to that film is Passenger 57. Because I loved that movie when it came out. I was so excited when seeing it that the trailer was coming for it when it was in the VHS store, like at the video rental place. I was all about it. Wesley Snipes getting on there. You know, just a cool, real cool setup. You know, you're on an airplane and it gets hijacked. You know, little did people know how how crazy this would be a couple of years later. You know what I mean? How like a, a crazy, but impossible of a movie idea this would become unless you were doing a documentary. You know what I mean? Um, but a lot of fun. Sizemore, Sizemore is not the main villain in it, but he's kind of like a right hand man type situation. The terrorist who's kind of involved in it, and uh, he's a dark character. I love his dark characters, man. He's a dark dude, you know. There's like, there's like this. There was footage of him. He did this thing called like, uh, man, it was like called Triple X Tom. Or something like that. It was just like him with like three hookers in a hotel. And they were rambling off some of the most craziest uh, Tom was, unfortunately. I think that was Droogs. Droogs Zudia. Um, but he was saying some wild shit. Stuff that I contemplated bringing here to say. But if it was taken out of, if it was just taken out of context in my voice saying these things, I wouldn't be happy with those things floating around the earth. So I'm not going to say some of the things he said, but he was, he was, that dude was balls to the wall, living a life for a million people, had a lot of fun. I'm sure he had a lot of heartbreak and tragedy in there. A life fully well-rounded. I won't say well-lived, maybe. Who's to say? Who's to be the judge of that? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know how he felt about it. And I think it should just be kind of up to that person when they die, whether or not their life was well-lived or not. Um, but the dude was uh, for sure doing it big. Pa- have you seen Passenger Fifty Seven, Alex? I have, but it's been so long oh. that I don't remember too much. I mean, I remember Wesley Snipes uh, as mm-hmm. as the lead, but to be perfectly honest, that's about all I really do remember of of that movie. It had the dude from um, Trying to think, there's a Mario Van Peebles movie where they like, uh, they're, they turn into super cops. They take, they inject like a werewolf serum into them. Full Eclipse. It's called Full Eclipse. And uh, Mario Van Peebles, I, I think, wrote, directed, and starred in. And the bad dude in that, who's this like Aus- big, tall Australian blonde dude, who you've seen, he's been in a bunch of stuff. You'd recognize him if you've seen him. But yeah, he's the he's like the main terrorist and. Passenger 57. And I'm a, that's back when trailers were trailers, man. You go back and watch some trailers from the 90s, the way that the voice was in it, the way the music was it, the cutting to it. There's something about it that just, it was boom. You know, you had good trailers nowadays, but like there was something about those 90s action trailers that just rev you up. There's like literal cocaine mist that floats out of the speaker holes when it like plays on your TV. And you breathe in like cocaine beer, dude, and you get all wild and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, number eight for my good friend, Alexander the Hope. Well, number eight, I got True Romance. 
that's a beautiful thing. That's true love. I like it. Yeah. yeah um, in this one, you got, uh, you know, Tom Sizemore and uh, Chris Penn. Yeah. Okay. And there are cops in this one. Uh-huh. And of course, they're, you know, definitely, yeah, not, uh, how should I say, not the, uh, the, the straightest arrows in the uh, quiver, so to speak. I, I don't think anybody in Tarantino written. No, favorite. no. Yeah. But, but, um, what I love is, I mean, not only is, is, is Tom Gray in this, but Tom working with Chris Penn, the back and forth. Yeah. That's what makes this on the list. Uh, the chemistry between the two of them was dynamic. Uh, whenever they were on, on scene, it was, you know, great. Uh, I mean, the, the interrogation scene where they're going after Bronson Pinchot's character yeah. is, you know, unnerving, scary, and hilarious all at the same time. And um, Tom, you know, Tom brought his A game for it. And whenever you, you're dealing with that, even though Tarantino didn't direct this, this was a Tarantino script. So, um, the late yeah. Tony Scott directed it. Yeah. yeah, and and it was it was definitely definitely one of those uh, you know great movies with great dialogue and great characters. And Tom really brought his A game, you know, doing that and working off with Chris Penn. It was every time those two were on scene, you know, you just you put down the uh, the controlling. You just sit down because you were mesmerized about how they're going back and forth. Yeah, dude, they had Sean Penn, like I said, phenomenal and kind of on the same vibe. And he, he, it's those things. It's like, of course, Sean Penn, his brother is a little more famous and stuff, and I'm sure that was a burden for him. But um, Sean Penn was a superb actor. You know what I mean? Um, the funeral, fantastic. Fantastic. Abel Ferreira's The Funeral. Yeah, check that out with some Sean Penn. I mean, some Chris Penn up in Yeah, here. Chris Penn. Yeah, Sean Penn is, is, is more it's successful. Brother. Brother. Chris Penn's the dude. Chris Penn, he, 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 there was a big fan. You were a big fan of a movie he did with kids in a, in like, uh, in the woods. He was like a, oh, yeah. a robber or something like that. And they found him in a little hut, a shack or something yeah, like that. Um, it's like boys club or boys, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, um, it had, um, uh, Devin Sawa, uh, right. you know, as, as one of the uh, lead boys. And that one, you had Chris Penn who, you know, he claims to be a cop that got, uh, shot by his, you know, crooked ex partner. And then you find out that he's actually a, a bank robber. And he's trying to manipulate these boys to help him, you know, get rid of a body and all that. And it's, you know, it's a very good film. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, uh, went to the wayside. I don't know if any, many people actually saw it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Chris Penn and, and Tom Sizemore, two very talented character actors, that had a very, very similar kind of edge, I guess. And that's why in True Romance, they were great to each other because they were, you know, Tom would say something, Chris would say something. And it was, you know, almost like you had two people with one brain. Yeah. And that's why they were great in that, in, in that movie. Yeah. I agree with that, Mike. I think the superb team duo was oh. great. Uh, number eight for me. Yeah. 
Uh, my my like honorable mention would be Born on the Fourth of July because I feel that's a very powerful movie, and it, with age, it even gets more powerful with me. You know what I mean? And it's uh, Hawk, are you familiar? Because I feel like that'd be a movie that would make you cry. I know you're not a big Tom Cruise fan. But... Yeah, well, I I know of the movie, but it's one of those movies I haven't seen, yeah. which is one of those I do want to see, even though it has Tommy Boy Cruise. Uh, I dig. I like Tom Cruise, and it's a I story. Well, with Tom Cruise, I've liked movies he's been in. Yeah. Uh, because of mainly usually uh, the other people that's around him yeah. and and all that. Tom, uh, Tom, I can take him or leave him. Cruise, I, not size more. Come on. Yeah, I mean, Have Tom Cruise. Yes, Tom Cruise is, is yeah. someone I can take him or leave him. Yeah, I definitely well, love, like Tom Sizemore a lot more than Tom Cruise, but you know, I that's can't, my personal point. Unfortunately, going to make me say that I can't agree with that. I think Tom Cruise is great. I think he gives us all. And uh, Born on the Fourth of July, perfectly casted for it um, because, you know, he, he, he had the look. You know, you see him, I won't spoil anything for anybody that hasn't seen the movie, but he goes through a complete transformation of just like, Johnny Boy American want to help his country to the flip side of it, you know what I mean? And it's kind of, it's a dark tale. Oliver Stone's made some of the greatest fucking movies of all time. Like he's so yeah. great. Um and uh kudos, he's still living. We got to get him on the cast, man. Oliver Stone, if you listen and come on the cast. But the movie that I have in this number 8 slot is a movie put here for my own selfish reasons. Definitely not a good film by any means, but a good film to me. All right. That yeah. film is called Polly Shore is Dead. All right. Now, Polly Shore, when the weasel was squeezing the juice a little too hard and all the juice done run out, uh, Polly Shore funded his own film that he wrote, directed, produced, and had all his friends do cameos in it. I think. The, the cover has, like, I remember the cover had, like, all the cameos, like, around the border of it. And it, there's literally, like, 50 cameos in that movie. Um, and it's mainly about Polly Shore faking it. It was the, sto- the story to it's great. It's actually, like, a good film, but, like, they didn't have enough money. And, uh, like, I had Polly Shore's first time directing. And no, I like Polly Shore a lot, but I think it might have been a little too much for him. And it's not bad. And it's not, you know, it's one of those deals. But, um, Sizemore is in there, and the the funny gag that I always remember from from that is the fact that it was um, Michael Madsen's in the film as well. And it goes whenever they see the character, they always think it's the other person to play off of the thing that like Sizemore and Madsen got mixed up all the time. You know what I mean? It was one of those deals. And I even think that their characters were related in the Tarantino universe, if I remember correctly. I think they were supposed to be brothers. Mr. Blonde, I think, was like cousins or brothers with like Skagnetti well, or something like that. Or or like the True Romance dude. Him, him in True Romance was like a brother to fucking Mr. Blonde or some weird deal like that. And that well, ties... Okay, well, well, I mean, from from what I heard, what I remember is um, uh, the uh, uh, Mr. Blonde, uh, the Michael Madsen character, I think was supposed to be brothers with Tom, um, uh, Travolta. Uh, yeah, uh, Travolta's well, in, character. In, 
in Pulp okay, Fiction. Okay, maybe that's what it was. I knew there yeah. was some type of weird story to it. Yeah, but, yeah. Polly yeah. Shore's I mean, that. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I can understand that kind of, even though, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Michael Madsen, um, and, and I, of course, love uh, Tom Sizemore. I personally, I, well, I can see similar, I guess, builds. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, I mean, I could never mistake their style. Their style, their, their style, style is so kind of silent bad boy. It's kind of a silent bad. Like Tom Sizemore isn't that character all the time. Madsen's more that all the time, so to speak. Yeah. But when when Sizemore fits into that silent bad, slides into the silent bad boy character or that really dark character, like there is a lot of I think crossovers within their uh, acting range, yeah. so to speak. You know what I mean? But that's why we can agree to disagree. And no problem solved. There'll just be a new person on the Boom Master Cast next episode. <laughs> but the gamble is, is it me or hot? That's the deal. Um, nothing but love for that man over there. So Polly Shore is dead. And my fun Polly Shore is dead story is that me and my cousin Carlo, uh, went, went, went in 2003, I believe, was the year that this came out. And Polly was touring the movie a little bit. And he was bringing it to Coolidge Corner Theater. And uh, I remember me and my cousin, you know, we love, you know, Encino Man, Biodome, you know what I mean? Uh, Son-in-law, you know what I mean? All those, Jerry Duty, even Sean Whalen, shout out. Even, uh, you know what I mean, in the Army Now, like, we love those Pauly Shore movies. So when he made, and, he, and, and, and back then, it was like when we, we were starting, mainly I was starting to make movies, you know what I mean? So, like, it was kind of cool to see Polly do like a no budget indie film, you know what I mean? So like I was digging on that and we were going up, we drove, we were going to drive to go see him. Uh, and I remember it was terrible for anybody that remembers 2003 and go, going to Coolidge Corner screenings. If you remember, there was a devastating snowstorm. Um, and I remember we checked Coolidge Corner website uh, before we left to see if it was if there was any cancellation shit or anything and nothing and uh, so we trekked out. I remember we almost died like three times going. This is before times uh, before the time of phones. There was no phones around <laughs> at this time. Uh, definitely no cell phones. Uh, I don't know if there was rotary phones at the time because this is how far back we're going. And um, long story short is we fucking almost died like three times getting there. And we get there, we walk over, and it was closed up, canceled out. And I remember being like, food dang. And I remember I thought to myself, well, I'll always have this Polly Shore is dead story for what I needed, you know, 30 years later when we're doing a Boom cast episode about the loss of Tom Sizemore. So it, you never quite know where things end up in life, you know what I yeah. mean? So what about you for, uh, well, actually, would you be approaching number, number eight? Or are you number no, seven? No, no, number seven. Oh, number shit, seven. dude. Holy hardcore, dude. <laughs> number seven for me is a movie called Striking Distance. Hey, now, good flick. Yeah, Striking Distance is a uh, Bruce Willis movie. Uh, and uh, Tom Sizemore plays a cop in yeah. it who is the brother of Bruce Willis's partner who 
uh, is uh, su- uh, who ends up uh, uh, supposedly killing himself. Supposedly. And, uh, and, yeah, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, the fact is Bruce Willis's character uh, was chasing after this uh, the serial killer and uh, we're trying to uh, figure out what's going on. Uh, at the same time, uh, there was a question about, uh, I think, some evidence disappearing or something like that, or some money disappearing. And the fact was, um, Oliver Platt, who played his partner, uh, was the one who did it. And, you know, Bruce Willis, you know, the did drugs, the know. Huh? Wasn't it drugs missing? It could be drugs. Be I forget drugs. the exact thing. Yeah. But uh, Bruce Willis, of course, uh, did the no-no of, you know, telling the truth. And uh, and they were going to go after Oliver Platt's character, but he decided to jump off a bridge. Now, this is years later. Um, Bruce Willis has been kind of moved off the force, and he now is on uh, kind of like a mini Coast Guard kind of duty. He, 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 uh, he's on the boat that goes and, and checks out the shorelines. Anyway, uh, the uh, murders start happening again, and they're all women that Bruce Willis knows. And, of course, all the evidence is piling up against him. Then, of course, uh, you find out that Oliver Platt, first of all, did not kill himself. He faked his own death. And that he was actually the serial killer in the first place, who actually also ki- uh, was involved in getting uh, Bruce Willis's character's father killed. And uh, Tom Sizemore plays Oliver Pl- Pl- Platt's uh, brother. And there was a point where Bruce Willis thought that Tom Sizemore's character was the one involved because he was always kind of erratic and over the top, you know, doing the Tom Sizemore, you know, kind of, I don't know what's going on with this guy. Is this guy on the edge kind of motif? And, of course, Tom did that well, that he kept you guessing that, I mean, I remember watching this movie and it was like, dude, it's Tom Sizemore's character. He's... He's the serial killer. It's obvious. Yeah. And then, of course, with the twist at the end where it's actually uh, all uh, You really want to spoil? You might not want to spoil. Uh, listen, it's been out so long. If you haven't seen it yet. Was that well, 97, 1997, 96 yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, that gives gives a whole point, uh, a credence to my boy uh, Tom for the fact that he was able to, you know, play his character so well and keep you guessing that you you constantly think, well, this guy must be the one because we know that the partner died, so it couldn't be him. Right. So when, of course, the reveal at the end, you're like, oh, okay, he faked his own death. Uh, but yeah, I, I always, I always like the movie. It's one of my favorites. Bruce Willis movies that doesn't get a lot of recognition. Yeah. And one of the reasons is because of Tom. Because Tom does a, a great, uh, a great uh, role in it, and of course he plays his character as you know his brother's dead. He's going off the hinge, a little more drinking, which adds to his neurotic behavior, which yeah. adds to you thinking, well, maybe he's doing this to get back at Bruce Willis because he blames Bruce Willis for his brother's right. death, right. Ca- ca- kind of uh, situation. Yeah. So yeah, I I definitely lo- love the movie, and I think uh, Tom did a great job in. 
How about yeah. you, dude? Um, I just had a big bang outside. Hope everybody's all right. Shit. Um, for my number seven. Yeah. All right. So we talked recently about a um. We talked recently about you know, true romance with Tony Scott. Yeah. So we have a Ridley Scott film, Black Hawk Down. Ooh, Josh Hartnett, dude. You know what I mean? Um, Evan McGregor was in this as well. This was a big, gigantic film, and I, you know, yeah. it was a time when I remember this sticking out because it was there was a handful of army movies around this time. It was a big, big time for army flicks, but this was one of the ones that stood out uh, really cool. You know what I mean? 106 elite soldiers who dropped into. Mogadishu in October of 1993, good year, to capture two top lieutenants of Renegade's Warlord. Well, you got to be careful in situations like that. But the movie was really good. I remember rocking this with surround sound. This is around the time I I was getting into surround sound and cranking this bad motherfucker up and, and going, yeah, oh, yeah, boom, boom, bada, boom. Uh, and I assume that it's higher up on Hawkman's list, so <laughs> we can dive a little deeper in. Yeah. You know, well, that that's true. Uh, so I'm not going to say too much, but uh, definitely Black Hawk Down is a very good movie. If you have not seen that movie, I definitely recommend go check it out. You know, it's Ridley definitely- Scott. Ridley Scott's a masterful filmmaker. I mean, it's beautiful imagery. It's very real. It's intense claustrophobic, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I love those war movies where every every war movie, you know, you, you find yourself over uh, behind enemy lines and, like, you know, I really like when filmmakers can actually make you feel the intensity of that instead of just, like, uh, watered down what everybody else does. And Ridley Scott doesn't water anything down. Uh, Ridley's right on top of his game, as usual. And uh, Black Hawk Down was fantastic. I remember well, this was nominated... Didn't this take all the awards that year at the Oscars? Um, I definitely think it was nominated. Um, I don't remember what awards, if any, that it got, but I was pretty sure it got nominated because it was really well done and it had a lot of great talent in that movie. Yeah, it won won for Best Film Editing, Best Sound, and it was nominated for Best Cinematographer and Best Director. Interesting. But, yeah, I remember at least them kind of in the mix. American Cinema, uh, I did get some awards, too. But, yeah, so what do you got up for, uh, what's your number? Number six? six? Yep, number Uh, six. I have Paparazzi. Okay, fair enough. Now, Paparazzi, um, it's pretty much the whole whole premise is, is you have these group of um, scumbag paparazzi that you know they'll get the picture no matter what the cost kind of deal, and I think it was heavily inspired by the death of Princess Diana. It was because yeah. th- there's a whole scene where you have uh you know the the action star with his family he's driving and you have the paparazzi pretty much boxing the car in taking the pictures which causes an accident, which I don't think they died, but I think his wife and daughter got really severely hurt, which, of course, adds to, you know, 
uh, the the tension and the thriller aspect where he decides to you know take matters in his own hands. Yeah. Um, and of course, when they're still all trapped in the car and banged up, they're still there taking the pictures. And Tom Sizemore is kind of like the leader of the pack, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And he plays this character as such a uh, such a scumbag. I mean, like amoral. There's nothing to like about this character. It's like you know, this is my job. I'm going to get any dirt. I will say anything. I will tell you that I'm taking pictures of your wife. While she's, you know, at, at at the pool or coming out of a shower in the house, where I'm taking these pictures while, yeah. while I sneak into your house, or, yeah, and and doing that just to get the guy so angry to hate him, so he can not only take pictures of, oh my God, movie star assaulted me, but also you know go after him for you know suing him and that kind of stuff, yeah, and of course. When Tom gets his comeuppance, you you just have this like, oh my god, you know, I'm so glad. It's kind of like a relief when you see Tom get his. And Tom, like I said, Tom had this this ability to tap into so many different recesses of you know his personality or you know things he's seen where. He can be as 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 nice or as 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 cool as a character as possible, or be as despicable as possible. Right. I mean, and he had so many levels and how. I mean, for example, like I said, in, uh, Enemy of the State. Okay, he's playing a despicable character, but I couldn't help but like him. Right. In this one, he made sure that there was no way you could like him. Right. Because he knew what kind of role he was playing. Okay. Yeah. Enemy State, his character was more of like a joke. Yeah. Okay, in this one, his character was: I'm going to make this guy so despicable, so when I get it, you are going to be happy that I get it. And 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 that's why it's on my list because he did such a great job of making you just, you know, just hate him so much. Yeah. No, that's real deal shit, man. Yeah. That's real deal stuff. That's real life deal. You know. Um, me, next up. Mm-hmm. Number six. Number six will be a film that I think will find itself further up on Alexander Hawk's list. Um, this is a film that was at the time huge everywhere you looked. That film is uh, Shaving Ryan's Privates. I mean, <laughs> Saving I know Private that Ryan. One. Yeah, Saving <laughs> Private Ryan. That, that, that was the porn version, right? Yeah, the Steven Spielberg Gigantor film, which I think won every Academy Award. And, uh, Matt Damon's in it. You've got, of course, Tom Hanks and Sizemore. <clears throat> you know, they're just part of the. We'll get deeper into it because I know that you're going to want to pop in. But, you know, this goes into one of those things I was saying about like helpless. Like you can see some the helplessness in his eyes in wartime. He was such a great actor for wartime because he has that sadness, that deepness, the depth in his eyes. He's got the the forty yard stare or whatever, you know, from Full Metal Jacket when you've been in the shit. You know what I mean? Like he can 
you know, I always kind of wonder, it's like, you know, those drugs, when those actors do drugs and stuff like that, yeah, it's bad news, but it's like, I wonder if it really does be able to take them to a different place. Um, and uh, it's interesting, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, to to jump off of that, um, yeah. if you want to get, uh, at least the way I feel, because, I mean, I haven't experienced it, so I can't say from full-hand knowledge, yeah. But you can argue that being addicted to drugs is 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 very similar to being in combat because right. you're you're constantly fighting. In this case, you're fighting against yourself. Okay, and and I think that's that's one of the things that uh, helps. I mean, uh, like look at post traumatic stress disorder. Mm. I think um, I know I've talked to people who have, you know, gone really deep into uh, drugs of different kinds and they've come out with that where, you know, they have flashbacks or they have uh, very bad, uh, you know, experiences where it's because of the drugs they took that that brought them to a very dark place Hmm. and they never seem to really get out of it. Um, so I, I mean, I can, I'm only guessing, but I can assume that by, you know, all getting involved in that kind of stuff, it could possibly have given him, a, like you said, that thousand yard stare yeah. that he was able to pull off in, in that movie. I think drugs with actors is like helps clean the slate. It helps them give them freedom where like, if in their head in a regular place, they might be afraid to go an extra do this or really come out of themselves a little bit. I feel like they're, 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 they get into it for like those reasons. And oh. medicating, of course. Yeah. Uh, one thing I just remembered now that we're talking about it, yeah. especially with Saving Private Ryan. Now, I don't know about any of his other things. Okay. But I remember I did read an article where Steven Spielberg to- told Tom that – if he does drugs on his set, he would be fired. Yeah. So that could also add to it the fact that he was being forced, probably cold turkey, or at least, you know, if he was doing it, he had kept it on such under wraps that it wasn't to the same extent. This falls into that time slot I was talking about in the beginning of the movie. Like right after they did Heat, De Niro and him did Heat together. De Niro really had a kinship with them. And De Niro paid for him to go to rehab. Like he he was like really cool about it. You know what I mean? And like so gave him the whole you're ruining your life deal. So what happened is in between, I think it was three years, three or four years in between Heat and Saving Private Ryan. I think there might have been one other film in between, or maybe not even. But I, but in between that, so he was probably going into Saving Private Ryan sober, newly sober. So, like, you know, because if, if he wasn't sober and Spielberg, if he was, like, like addicted to cocaine or addicted to fucking whatever meth, you know, I, there, there are certain drugs I don't think you can shut off. You know what I mean? So, okay. like, if he was partying all night he can't just say all right cocaine all right meth all right crack um it's 6 a.m we gotta work you know what i mean i think he couldn't no matter how much respect he had for spielberg and how much he knew the opportunity in front of him i think the drugs would be too crazy on his brain to let him 
function, especially, and then you're going on set to have in a stress-filled environment because it's a lot on the line for eight hours, 16 hours, whatever they're rolling down on. And uh, I think if he wasn't clean ahead of time, it'd probably be very difficult for him to stay sober on set. But the fact that he was on set, and I assume Spielberg sets, directors of that magnitude, I assume if you're fucking off in any way, like crew people, if they catch you fucking off, peace. Actors, are they probably a little bit more lenient with them if they're a part of the film? Um, but I don't know how that would work. I don't know if they would legally. It almost feel like there would be a legally binding contract with the actor to be like, if you yeah. I mean, I and- mean, I mean, I wouldn't put past Steven Spielberg to literally have in the contract saying if you partake in drugs on set of any kind, if that you your contract is terminated, like th- the studio because yeah. yeah, because I mean, Steven Spielberg is is such a big uh, producer and director that the even the studios, even if they were like uh, totally behind the actor, they'd be like, well, this is Steven's gig. Steven has a hundred percent say on the on these things. Yeah. So I mean. I wouldn't be surprised that uh, Stephen would have in the contract with Tom saying that, you know, Tom, I am a fan. I enjoy your work. But if you do step over the line on this issue, I will have to fight. Well, that's the thing. You know, people don't realize that. It's like you got a huge mega forces at work. But if Sizemore was to fuck up, if he was to come in on the, the fifth day all fucked up, this is a $70 million film that could go into the shitter, let alone people's reputation. So, like, there's definitely, there's got to be, maybe not Spielberg. Pro- Spielberg probably gave him a pep talk, but, like, other finance, the financiers and those producers probably stepped in and were like, you got to, you know, you got to sign this contract or something. Yeah. I assume that'd be really, like, kind of a gigantic, like, imagine all it would really take is one, one bad night and addicts can get crazy and selfish or like they would almost be like, fuck everybody. I'm getting high or whatever. You know what I mean? And like him going off the rails, if they already shot half a movie with them, think about the madness of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I mean, the thing is, I, I, but uh, and when, when you, I thought it'd be more if, than 70 mil. I'm surprised yeah. it's a little low for what it was. Uh, but, but I'm with you. So well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing is, there's a lot of things, but, uh, Either way, I mean, he, he he came and he did a, a great performance, and uh, like a, like I said, it's higher on my list, so we'll talk. I'll talk more about it. But uh, Some people claim it's one of the greatest war movies ever made. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely is. It's a great one. It really is a great film. I mean, you have Spielberg for you know he's so huge. I mean, and he's such a master of his his art, his craft that like you know you almost. He's, he he makes great films, you know what I mean? But he's, he's so praised for it that you almost don't want to give him credit. But he's super talented, obviously. Yeah. All right, so next up is your, your five? Yep, number five. Okay, my number five, okay, yeah. is Harley Davidson and oh. the Marlboro Man. Oh. Now, now, first of all, I've... <laughs> It's it's one of my guilty pleasures. I I I I love the movie. Um, 
Don Johnson uh, and Mickey Rourke. First of all, I love Don Johnson. Mickey Rourke, he's one of those I can take him or leave him. I'm not a huge fan of his, but I've seen stuff he's done that I've enjoyed, and this is definitely one of them. But um, the whole thing, why this is number five and and why I I love Tom Sizemore in this is he's the main villain, okay? He's – I think he's pretty much a banker that's behind – uh, these guys in trench coats that uh, are to uh, go and kill off uh, Marlboro Man and Harley Davidson and their crew. And um, first of all, he plays the character so calm. Yeah. And when I when I'm saying calm, I'm talking about you got Harley Davidson and Marlboro Man come in, okay, and they shoot the phone that he's talking to some guy on and he just turns around and he literally just stands there. It's like, you're going to shoot me. You're going to shoot me. Really? Uh. Go ahead. <laughs> I I'm to- totally calm, calculating, pretty much stating, you know, how things are. It, it, it's actually, uh, the, one of the best po- parts is, Mickey Rourke tells John Johnson to, you know, shoot, shoot, uh, Tom Sizemore's character and, and, and John Johnson doesn't want to because he's like, my dad told me never shoot an unarmed man. Yeah. So, so, so Mickey Rourke takes the gun, tosses it to Tom, like, okay, he's armed. Can you now shoot him? And, um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's great because, it shows that uh, a lot of people uh, can, you know, say, oh, that he, you know, is known for uh, always playing villains, but his different villains are always different. Right. Okay. I mean, one of the big problems that I find with a lot of actors is if they are playing a villain, they always play the the, the villain the same way. He talks like this and he looks like that and he reacts yeah. this way. But you look at Tom Sizemore's that you've got those that are way over the top that, you know, are acting like they're, you know, high on something. And then you got, you know, his character in this, which is so calm, so unflappable that he's getting shot at and he's like not even flinching. He's like, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm not going to show you any fear. I'm not going to kowtow to you. Yeah, you got me outnumbered, and you're you have right to kill me, but I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of showing that I have any, you know, fear of death. And that's why I think he's so cool in this movie. Yeah, I definitely get down with him. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. How about you? What's your number five? Number five for moi is a film called Blue Steel, brother. Blue Steel. You know, ca- directed by Catherine Bigelow. Wait, hold on. Blue Steel, is is that the name of my uh, favorite condom? Yeah, I think so. You mm. get steel, I heard you was blue putty. That's what I heard <laughs> your condom was. But uh, Blue Steel, you know. Um, uh, the late Edward Pressman, 
produced it from like you know who did a bunch of cool stuff bad lieutenant with abel Ferrer yeah. and a whole bunch of gritty cool flicks and uh he teamed up with Catherine bigelow of like near dark and later the hurt locker and stuff like that to uh who's a great filmmaker in her own right to uh bring us this jamie lee curtis uh vehicle where jamie lee curtis is like cop new cop on the job and uh her first day She's uh, she reports solo to a uh, robbery at a grocery store, I believe it is, or or a liquor store or something. I haven't seen. Yeah. It. I didn't rewatch it, but uh, I remember it being good times. And um, our boy Tom Sizemore is uh, the dude harassing people at the store, and she shoots him, kills him, plays a guy. I always liked him because he did very like junked out type character. You know what I mean? When I think of like junked out characters. When I think of him, there's few people that pass visions, visuals of him that pass through my mind when I think of his movies. And this one, him in this movie, it's definitely not a big part, but it, uh, it's like one of those deals where like there's a, they do a lot with a little type deal. You know what I mean? Like sets up the whole movie. You know what I mean? It's kind of the main ingredient to the whole film. And then, you know, she's wrongfully, there's no murder weapon found on him. Um, so then she kind of has to go down for, you know, kind of with the times. It's actually probably a good movie to rewatch nowadays because it actually fits the current climate a little bit more than it. Well, actually, not a little bit more than back then because back then we were dealing with all that madness, too. But uh, it still holds up. You know what I mean? It's still one of those films and uh, dark and gritty. You know what I mean? And uh, good times, uh, I must say. I won't go too deep into it. I already told a little bit about the plot, but uh, we'll let folks unravel. You know, she gets, I think, on the murder unit, the detective. She somehow becomes a detective, I forget, for after, like, them taking her getting in trouble with killing a person, then they make her a detective, and she's following some serial killer or something. Um, But I remember it being good. I remember it being fun, well-put-together film, you know what I mean? And uh, brought by some powerhouse people. And I did rest in peace. Edward Pressman, because he passed recently. And uh, big kudos to him. But what do you have for your number five or your number four? You're number four, right? Yeah, my number four. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is a film that I know is probably higher on Matt's list. Probably. Okay. Natural Born Killers. I, I heard about oh. that. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's a good film. And one of the things I loved about Tom Sizemore's role in this yeah. and why it's as high as it is, is that mainly is, is there's a scene where you have Tom Sizemore walking. Right next to him is Tommy Lee Jones. And and uh, Tommy Lee Jones is the warden. Uh, Tom, uh, Tom Sizemore is uh, the cop. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he's talking about, you know, Woody Hellison's character and the female being, you know, crazy sociopaths and like, so, you know, to Tom, like how how you, uh, how you can deal with, uh, find these people and, uh, or connect or something like that. Sympathize. Sympathize or, or or figure them out or find them. Right. And and Tom Lee Jones, he's, he's, you know, he's like, you know, bouncing around. He's like, you know, at level nine or 10, Mm. but Tom, but Tom, Okay, he's he's talking about how, you know, his mother gets killed by a sniper when he was a little kid. And that's a famous that's, sniper, though. I think that was that famous yeah. Texas story. 
Yeah, it was it was a, a famous uh, situation that you know he oh, used situation. All right. Well, anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. Getting to what I'm saying is that, um, and he's talking about that being a huge impact on his life and why he became a cop and yeah. and all that. And the fact is, he's saying this so you know, you know, just straight, you know, serious and all that. Which, you know, kind of offsets when you have Tommy Lee Jones' character, which is like, you know, so kind of manic type of personality. So you have the, uh, you know, the juxtaposition between the two of them. And, and of course, you have Tom talking about such a horrendous incident that, that created and helped move his character along to where he is now. And, and he he just delivers it as 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 I would say as honest and as heartfelt. And the thing is, anyone who's seen Natural Born Killers, the way it's shot, the 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 colors and all that, even right. look at like Tom Sizemore's wardrobe. Okay, you would I mean you would automatically think that you know his character be more of like his manic crazy character, like. In this, say, striking distance or enemy of the state where, you know, he's more out there like paparazzi, but he, but he brings it back in. He brings it in. And that is why I, I really appreciate his role in this because when you're dealing with such craziness, it's easy to fall into like, well, look at Tommy. Tommy's going, you know, kind of over the top with his acting. I can do the same, but instead Tom, brings it down and he's more, you know, you know, inward while delivering this. Yeah. And that's why I think he's really good in this uh, movie because, you know, he did not take the easy way out. He could have gone, you know, with the, the, the time that we know when he's playing, you know, kind of over the top or crazy, like in true romance. But, you know, he brings it down with all the craziness around him. He brings his level down and makes that that much more um, impactful, his, his, well, his performance. He, well, he becomes the most unsuspecting in a film where he's kind of like one of the most vile. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you remember, he's like, he's a corrupt cop. Like, he, he's strangling hookers and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Killing hookers on the side. Meanwhile, trying to be, and he's an author, the Scagnetti on Scagnetti book and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's such a weird, beautiful character, you know what I mean? And Tommy yeah, Lee Jones is fucking incredible in Natural One Killers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all in, incredible, but that goes with what I'm saying is that, yeah. okay, you, you think of the type of character he is, and Tom Sizemore as an actor looking at a lot of other stuff he's done, you'd expect him to be more on the same level as Tommy Lee Jones, kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, right. uh, uh, moving moving back and forth and, and kind of like, you know, going into it. But he's more subdued, which makes him even more creepy well, and, Tommy... more, and more, you know, and yeah. more like when, when he's strangling the hookers and all that, it, it makes him even more... Um, dangerous than even Woody Harrelson's character, right? Because, yeah, Woody would do that. Yeah, because instead of being, instead of being, you know, 
you know, over the top, like, you know, you would expect in this movie with the type of character he is, he brings it down, which gives a whole, whole different, like a creepy vibe to it, which I think works. In the comparison with Tommy Lee and, and Tom Sizemore, it's like Tommy Lee Jones gets his rocks off with the chaos of the prison and kind of like being that character where Tom Sizemore character, he gets his rocks off by killing hookers and shit like that. So like yeah. that, but he's more behind closed doors to go with what you're saying. Cause it lines up perfectly with what you're saying. Um, so many great characters in that movie. I love that movie. Yeah. I think people get, I'm, I'm teasing too much at my numero uno, but <laughs> um, uh, next, am I up next? Uh, yeah. What's your number four? My number four is a little film that I love called Bringing Out the Dead, based off of a book directed by the great Marty Scorsese, starring Nicolas Cage, John Goodman, and our boy Tom Sizemore. And oh, some yeah. Other folks. This movie I love from the get-go. I love the style of it. It's almost horror, but it's like horrors of life type deal. And uh, such a great flick. Sizemore plays one of the it revolves around Cage being like a late night ambulance driver and he has different, you know, folks that drive with him. One's Goodman at one point, the other Sizemore. And it's all these zapped out characters. And Sizemore is just a lunatic, dude. It's probably one of my favorite things he's ever done. It's just kind of wild Sizemore, you know what I mean? Which very few people... You know, you put him in a category, Leota, like very few people can play that dark wildness that really, you know, Chris Penn, like we're saying, like there's something about him. You know, there's a, you know, the way we'll talk about Cage and say, you know, the Cage is a certain thing. Nobody can ever do Cage. It's like these these dudes that play these second. If Cage never blew up, Cage would almost be at that place. Like imagine if Nicolas Cage never kind of became leading man. I feel like he would have fell into that kind of gritty, cold, uh, you know what I mean, type type roles. If but he's so embraced by everything and any any genre that kind of he'd want to pursue, people will support. But it'd be interesting to see Nicolas Cage in a place where like a lot of things he only he was kind of you know pigeonholed to a certain. Now you know some people would say when he did that at all those at, that stint of all those action movies that it was kind of that was a pigeonhole time for him, but like it'd be interesting to see if he, you know, never had. And some people we all love Nicolas Cage, but he does have family ties, of course, like 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 the Keatons and uh, got the Coppola blood in him, which is a beautiful legacy to be a part of. And uh, but it'd be curious to see. It kind of makes you wonder how much that that even though he wasn't named Coppola on paper or whatever, uh, it's you know the ties still help. And I wonder if that's what oh. kept that's what kept him out of being almost like like you would say Leota, you would say Sizemore. They could lead and stuff, but they were almost better as like like you know assistant uh, cast. You know what I mean? Like supporting cast, not exactly. You know what I mean? Great supporting. There's actors that are just that. They're like great supporting actors that like you have a you have your leading person in there and you could almost even have a not good leading man if the supporting team around them is so superb. Yeah. And the case in point with that is Stone Cold, the Brian Bosworth movie where Brian Bosworth is like dog shit 
acting, you know what I mean? Like some of the worst acting of all time. But the two villains in it is Lance Henriksen and William Forsyth. And those two dudes are so incredible as the bad guys in that movie that you just don't even care about Brian Bosworth's bad acting. You know what I mean? Uh, and that, that, that's good. You know, there it is. Testament to all those folks mentioned, except for Brian Bosworth, who failed us. You know, he failed foosball, so he became an actor. But uh, I can't hate on Bosworth because I well, have at least six of those cheesy straight-to-video VHS he did, and I love watching them because they're so bad. Yeah, I mean, that's the same same uh, uh, case with, like, Suburban Commando with yeah. Hulk Hogan. I yeah. mean, the thing is, Hulk Hogan is not a good actor, okay, by any stretch. But, you know, he had such a great supporting cast that it ended up being a a lot of fun to watch. And don't get I mean, me wrong. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth, one of the greatest action movies ever made. If I was asked what's the greatest guy movie, you know, quote-unquote guy movie, I, there is. Some people might say Rocky. Nah, I say another hard object. Stones, baby. Stone Cold, the greatest We'll have to do a show one of these days where we go, me and Hawk and maybe a guest will square off and we'll try and come to grips with what in fact is the greatest guy movie and we'll do the different genres. But my vote for greatest guy movie, Stone Cold all day long. All right, my friend, what do you got up next for number three? For number three is Black Hawk Down. Is that Hawk with a H A U C K Hawk? No, it's H A W K, man. But yeah, um, what I love about his role in Black Hawk Down and why it's so high on the list is the fact that you have his character in this um, war situation, yeah, and. He's he's the only one that is he's affected, but he's not letting it affect his work. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a scene where he's walking over to one of his men who's crutching down. Everyone's getting shot at, and he's standing there. Bullets are going by him. Okay. Uh, and he's not bothering trying to hide the cover or anything like that, okay? And and he he he's, and there's a point where he's also in the car and his driver gets shrapnel in the face and he deals with it, right. okay? And he's telling you know, come on, soldier, we gotta we gotta keep doing this. You know, I understand that you're you're wounded, but we gotta we gotta uh, fix this. There's there's another point where he's talking to his commander, and he's like, this is going to be a shit show. Yeah. You, you know this, okay? And this is not going to end good. Yeah. And, of course, like, oh, you're, you're you know. And, and what makes this such a great role is the fact that I've, I've met some people uh, throughout doing film uh, that are actually military. That they've spent time, they were in Afghanistan, they were in, in different uh, war situations. And when yeah. I talk to them, they're this character. This is the type of, that 
shit happens, they deal with it, okay? They are affected by it, but they don't let it affect them in the moment. So you have this guy who's a seasoned uh, soldier with a lot of younger guys who are getting hurt, are scared, they're hiding and all that, and he's just doing his job. He's dealing with the situation that happens. And he knows that they're in a shit show, and the chances of any of them getting out is extremely slim. Yeah. But he does his job, and he doesn't, you know, let his emotion, you know, affect how he does his job. And that's why I think this is extremely well done, uh, a role for him. I appreciate a minute, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there was a big auto wreck outside the house. Uh, Breaking news on the Boombastic cast. There was an auto volcanic accident outside of the Boombastic Media Studios. Hopefully no one got hurt. I mean, that's all that that matters. It was a neighbor. I'm going to check in. Uh, supposedly, uh, every, some people went to the hospital, but we'll see. Well, it was like a big boom. It's probably on the recording a little pop. It was like it wasn't no screeching, which is bad news. Whenever there's no, whenever there's no like screeching from people slamming on the brakes, that's not a good sign because that means full forest patu. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there was a dog in the car too, but there was a dog trainer there that got the dog, so the dog survived, which is good. Um, but, one person didn't survive. That's Tom Sizemore. And we're talking about his films here today. Yeah. So how about you? What's your number three? My number three is a glorious film. I'm going to turn up the heat on your ass. You know what I mean? Heat! With Bobby heat. De Niro, the Michael Mann directed, Al Pacino. Quite a masterpiece. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, masterpiece. These people will blast police. Val Kilmer. With the with the hell with the fucking Jason mask, the the goalie mask, not quite Jason mask, but goalie mask down, annihilating people up. Uh, he's a f- great film, you know. Sizemore's in it. He's kind of like he's one of these professional thieves dudes. <coughs> plays it super cool, like you were talking about before when he plays super cool. Uh, just cool guy. They're all like gang. They're 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 gang. You know. It's, it's organized crime, but not quite mafia, but they carry themselves like mafia people. You know what I mean? Yeah. They got the nice suits. You know, they're kind of respectable people. They're not fucking degenerate, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, one of them is. One of them's a degenerate. He gets his, of course. Um, but he's a fucking masterpiece. You know, they just released a book. He, too, a sequel was written. They wrote a book that was the sequel. <clears throat> Michael Mann wrote it with somebody else, I believe. I want to pick it up. I heard good things about it. How do you feel about uh Well, is Heat later in your list or no? Uh, Yep, it is right. uh, later no in my list. No comment then. Anybody out there that's never seen Heat, uh, definitely check it out. And uh, it's a great watch. Great crime movie. You know what I mean? One of the best of um, – one of the best of – the 90s, you know, Tom Sizemore is in some of the best crime movies of all time. Kudos. Kudos, Tom. Mucho kudos. Uh, because your number two movie is Heat. <laughs> Do you want to just continue talking about Heat a little bit? Sure, sure, yes. And and he's right. My number yeah. two uh, film with Tom is Please Heat. Um, yeah, I mean, Heat is such a great movie. I mean, you've got 
uh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Yeah. Uh, of course, at that time they were having a kind of an issue where even the scene that they sh- uh, that you see the two of them together in yeah, with the, the plane, booth, they weren't. Oh, even yeah. that they weren't they, they weren't together for that either. Not not for the booth. No, that was really? shot. Uh, for uh, they own uh, if they did like over shoulder thing, it was some double that they got. That's actually pretty. I, I now that you say that, I I remember that fully. I remember them not like I know that they weren't together for like the out the death scene when yeah. they're together outside. You know. No yeah, scene. I mean, or, at least that that's what I read. Um, of course now, I mean, no, I think you're right. I think you're dead on correct yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, now, I mean, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino are good friends. I don't know what the beef was before. Oh, uh, uh, it was probably small-time New York actor shit. They're both big, it, it, you know, it could have been an ego complex. It's like because Val- he has a big ass. Well, you know. It's you know, right up it. <laughs> I wonder how Val was doing during this time, because I remember Val and Marlon Brando had that weird issue with, uh, what do you call it, um... Uh, why is it escaping? Dr. Moreau. We talked when we had Richard Stanley on the show. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about that with, you know, the documentary, yeah. Lost Souls documentary, great documentary on it. But yeah, Val Kilmer and Brenda would have a weird ego battle where one of them, you know, they wouldn't want to go out first. They, yeah. all, they always wanted to be the last person on set because then. That made them like the featured star in their mind, like weird shit. So I wonder if that's what broke down between Pacino and De Niro because they're both, you know, for the longest time they've both been considered the goat of acting. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's. I mean, you can't always argue. I mean, uh, only the two of them actually know. And uh, I'm sure more people know, but not us. Not us. yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, going with Tom, um, Tom, I mean, his character is really good in this. Um, And, and again, going back to what I said about uh, True Romance with him and Chris Penn, that he and Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer, the three of them gelled perfectly. They were a very tight unit, and you can believe that these guys... You know, know what they're doing. There's actually been talk saying that heat is like used by actual law enforcement because of how they actually took the time to, you know, learn how to actually use the guns and actually know how many mags that they got and how they go in and go out. So actually, supposedly heat is, is actually required watching for some law enforcement. Um, but, yeah, Tom Tom owned every scene he was in. And sure. that's not an easy job to do when your know, co stars are Bobby De Niro, Val Kilmer, Al Pacino, Danny Trejo. I mean, we're talking about extremely talented, you know, alpha guys on set and to to be with the big dogs he he brought his A game and he was really good at it. For sure, I don't. Th- I don't think you know. Sizemore in that situation, I always took him to be all, like probably a respect, really respectable, good dude in the craft of where like he probably there's certain actors that don't let ego get in there. 
Like, I think that he looked, knew that Pacino and De Niro were the big dogs on that film. I even think Val Kilmer probably got the vibe of that, even though he had that weird thing with Brando. But a lot of that, even if, even if you don't have that ego, I think if somebody else shows you that ego, then you have that ego. So it's quite, and everybody knows Brando, a super talented dude, but he had that ego. So it's very possible. I know, I know you don't like him, but I know it's possible that Val Kilmer didn't really have the ego, but Brando came off like talking down to him. So at that point he was like, you know what? Fuck him. I'm going to be difficult. Yeah. Plus also you can argue that, um, again, of course, this is just conjecture, but you can argue that. Bobby De Niro and Al Pacino, we're talking about extremely talented people in their prime, right. making it big at that time. Now, when he was with Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando's prime, well, you know, he still had done, you know, The Godfather and other big things. He was in the decline of his years. So you can always argue that Val Kilmer saw himself as a new big thing. Marlon Brando was a thing of the past. And, of course, you had the young ego and the old ego, you know, battling it out. So that could be another reason why the two of them kept on, you know, whipping out the dicks at every ch- uh, chance. Between De Niro and Pacino, Pacino seems like he's fun. <clears throat> like, he, you, 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 you know, you go, if you're going to hang out with Pacino, I feel like you're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, you know what I mean? If you're hanging out with De Niro, I feel like it's more of a serious vibe. I don't know for sure, but, you know, De Niro doesn't seem like, and I know he likes comedy and stuff. And, you know, I'm sure he's very, he's only really probably Bobby with certain people. You know what I mean? He's Bobby to me. He's Bobby He'll to me. He'll always be Bobby to me. And I got nothing but love for De Niro. De Niro was, I'd say for like 10, 15 years of my life, Denaire, there was nobody better as an actor in my eyes up until I met Alex Hawk, of course. Oh, you know what I mean? But Bobby D, pound for pound, I'd probably say Bobby De Niro has probably been my most beloved actor throughout, you know, film. It's like, like, cause I, like I said, I've enjoyed Bobby D for heavy amount of years, and I don't not like him now. He goes a little crazy with politics now, which I hate when anybody does, and I got no dog in the fight, but like, don't mix up art and fucking politics. There's no need for it. Not like blatantly, you know what I mean? Um, do like an artistic project if you're going to want to get into a, that deal. But um, I love Bobby De Niro. Uh, if I could pick and choose who I could hang out with in this world right right after Alexander Hawk, it'd be cool to be able to shoot the shit with Bobby D. You know, I was thinking the other day of like some of the iconic people that are just legendary that like if you could if you could have friendships with folks you know like dice like uh, dice is what brought it up it was like dice clay is such a living legend i know that some people hate his guts and stuff that he's too raunchy for him or whatever but dice for me that my upcoming in my youth and childhood and all that uh comedy was a big part of it and those dice albums were heavy dude and he was just Really the first kind of real rock star, you know what I mean? So, like, stuff like that, like, Dice is somebody you'd want to hang out with, you know. I could put together a cool list, but maybe someday. But there's just kind of legendary folks out there. It'd be kind of cool to be able to throw, hit them up and be like, what's going on? 
And Tom Sizemore was one of those people, you know what I mean? Uh, number dose for me, because we're, the, we're there now, right? Yeah. He number... was uh, my two, so what's your two? My two is True Romance. Very smaller part. You've seen him play this type of character before, but I had to give it up because the magnitude of the film. And it's really quite a debate when I was trying to go between two and three. Comparing True Romance and Heat, not really comparing, but battling them up, which is the better film, is real, was really fucking tough. And I really don't even think that, I don't even want to like, say that it, that true romance is officially the winner, even though it's not, it took the spot of part two it can't be number one, of course, but true romance, like we said, Tony Scott directed Tarantino wrote, which is funny because Tarantino, I actually wrote the, my number one film too. You know, it's very interesting that number one and number two, our films that, Tarantino actually wrote and sold scripts that he wrote and sold that a lot of people, unless you really kind of follow it, don't really know and pay attention. The, you know, the Quentin Tarantino uh, was just selling scripts for a short period of time within Hollywood. And there is true romance. And there is my numero uno. But before we leave true romance real quick, I just want to say Gary Oldman is fucking incredible in it. And like you said, Bronson Pinchot, great. Like, you know, Chris Penn, Sizemore, Gandolfini, Brad Pitt, you know what I mean? Arquette and, and, and Slater, dude, fantastic. Walk in, Dennis Hopper. Like, there's so many great acti- actors and acting in this film. Such a great film, and it has a lot of style. And it's kind of like, I want to say it was the first script that Tarantino had done. This became this came out before Natural Born Killers, I believe. I could be wrong, but I think. Um, and I want to say that this was it. And now the now the script for Natural Born Killers, I know that True Romance is pretty much word for word. And I believe that Oliver Stone added on a kind of a you know kind of a shitey vibe of Oliver Stone. I think he just added some of the stuff that was like director's cut stuff. Uh, like he added very little. He bought the script, added very little of his own stuff, and took like complete credit. Almost, I want to say. I think he only gave Tarantino a story credit or something weird like that. Maybe it was a co-writer credit, but I want to say what he added. What, what was really just kind of to get his name in there, I think. And I love Stone. I love Oliver Stone to death and beyond death. So I'm not shitting on him, but yeah, I remember that. He had weirder, Tarantino had weirder failings towards Natural Born Killers than he did um, True Romance, if I remember correctly. And I own both scripts. When I was uh, wanting to start filmmaking, there was there was three scripts that I bought to figure out how to write. It was Reservoir Dogs, it was Natural Born Killers, and it was a, Kev- a two-pack Kevin Smith, Clerks and Chasing Amy, two scripts in one. And those are the three books, the three scripts that I got to kind of learn how people, you know, write scripts, you know, which is cool. But uh, I never got the true. I don't think I have. I might have got true romance later in life. I might have picked that up somewhere. I got some other scripts, but I'd have to go look in the old archives. But um, yeah, true masterpiece. Now, numero uno for the Alexander Hawk animal. He's been saving. He's been saving this film 
for numero uno. He's been saving it, I feel. I've been I've been saving it since I met Fiverr Drive. Oh, how's how's oh. he doing these days? He's doing good. He's doing good. He's looking more like Matt Damon every day. Not not Ben Affleck? No. All right. Fair but, enough. But um yeah, saving Private Ryan, I now I as as I already talked about, I had Blackhawk down as, as number three. And yeah. uh and while I think he's phenomenal in this and the reason why I have to give uh Saving Private Ryan number Uno spot for Tom Sizemore is the fact that in this one he's while in Black Hawk Down he was more of part of a huge ensemble. Yeah. In Saving Private Ryan he was one of a small ensemble. Okay? And yeah. he was a very intricate part. And just the scene itself with him and Tom Hanks where they're sitting down and he's saying that maybe the only thing that we can get out that any good thing that we can get out of this shit war is the fact of saving Private Drive. And he and he was and he played his character again like like so many soldiers that I've people that I met that have been in wars and you've been and through he, a few wars yourself. Well, only emotional wars, not really. Those are just, those are just as bad sometimes, you know. But uh, and and <laughs> there's there's another point where uh, Tom Sizemore stands in front of uh, one of the other soldiers who's going to shoot uh, the uh, the German that they capture and are forcing to dig the grave. Yeah. And and he's he, and he has a gun pointed on the guy. And the guy says, what, you're going to shoot me to save this guy? He says, no, I'm going to shoot you because I don't like you. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, which, you know, he delivers with his kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, Tom Sizemore joke. But the fact was, you know, you know he he's following what, what it, he was kind of like the moral compass in this group. He was the guy who... He didn't give out any information about himself. He was, you know, more tight-lipped, and he was there to do a job. And right. he was there that um, when when Tom needed advice, he was the guy that Tom went to, and and he he, he spoke to how it is, and he was. Honestly, to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. I was more affected by his death than Tom Hanks. Oh yeah, and I agree with. I, I will agree with you on that, actually, because I love Tom Hanks's character and I love Tom Hanks as an actor, and it was a moving death scene. But Tom Sizemore, for me, I I felt more of akin to, and I understood more. I I understood him as a soldier that they have their orders, okay? And he might not agree with those orders, mm. but he's going to fall with those orders. And he's and and when asked, he'll give his honest opinion. But he's still a soldier number one. He's he's not going to uh, 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 complain or cry about his family back home. He's not talking about 
you know, the uh, what what his wife cooked him. You know, while all these are great things for the different characters, he was the one that I felt was more true to a soldier at that time, a man's man, the guy who, you know, there was no worrying or talking about the uh, what he left to come here. It was, if he was lucky enough to get home to get that, that's great. But in that situation, he was not thinking of it. Right. He was there to do a job, and he was there to uh, do whatever they had to do and then go home. Yeah. And that's why I love him in this movie, because he was the one that I felt like was the actual foundation of the group. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I do agree with that. He was the backbone. He was the one that kind of, yeah. uh, when things, I almost feel like when other people would second guess, he'd be the one that would say, no, it's right. Yeah. And then he would kind of, you know what I mean, lead the parade. But even though he wasn't the leader, he was still in lead, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was the guy that, if Tom Hanks' character told him, okay, I need you to go in there and take out this sniper nest, he'd be the one that would, you know, find a way to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and like I said, I, I appreciated his character and, uh, and, and kind of like that. some, it's kind of like symbolic for his career as an actor. Yeah. You know, kind of. You know, we need someone to go to this dark place, get in there and do it. And nobody does it better, so to speak. He was one of the top people that did it that, you know, could go there. And I think it's got, it's to hit the, the darkness. It's almost like the harnessing of darkness. You know what I mean? Like you have, a, I think a lot, of, even the positive and, and, and happy actors have a darkness in them. So like, it's just a matter of trying to take that darkness and harness it and use it to the best of your ability, so to speak. Maybe life's just harnessing the darkness. You know what I mean? That's maybe it's one big metaphorial. So yeah, Saving Private Ryan, classic dude. And I will agree with you. I think he's the best part of that movie for real. And that was a big time for him. Yeah, a big movie for him, big time. Was he nominated for that? Supporting? I, honestly, I don't think so. Yeah. Which, now, they'll, they'll go back and they'll change it for him now. Yeah. You know what I, mean? I wonder what De Niro had to say when he heard about it. You know what I mean? If we still, if they were still friendly or whatever. Um, I, I was kind of touched to hear that story because I don't hate. I don't. What a weird word. What a weird thing to start off with. But <laughs> I don't, obviously don't hate. But I don't. I never took De Niro. Like I said with the with fun times like i appreciate him as an artist but i always felt like he was probably a little too serious um maybe a little too little cold towards people and even though i've never met him i almost got that vibe from him and when i heard that he was like the good that he did for tom i i kind of wore my heart a little bit you know what i mean um because you know that's that's good. That's going. That's actually trying to help. You know the situation. I remember in another situation, there was a De Niro story I read in that Wire. Uh, was it Wire? The book about Belushi and uh, De Niro and Belushi had a weird beef because 
De Niro supposedly, as the as the story goes, De Niro told Belushi that he should shoot heroin for real in a movie, and uh, Belushi was like not cool with that to the point where it was, maybe he said it in front of producers or something. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know the full just of the story, but I do know that Belushi was unhappy that De Niro suggested he really shoot heroin in a movie. Um, who's to say maybe it was an argument and it was a shot, you know what I mean? I, I don't know the... I mean, I mean, I mean, the thing is, but, again, I don't know uh, De Niro well enough, and heck, I didn't... Not anymore. Know. I used to. Me and him used to be pretty close, but <laughs> we haven't talked in some time. Something like that, just guessing from the little bit I, I, I've seen it and yeah. know of De Niro, I would not be surprised if he had an it like there was an issue with him and Belushi could be, and that comment was as you said a dig or kind of like yeah you know what how, how about you shoot uh, heroin in this movie I mean you do that on on a regular basis that was so, pretty uh, much what it was yeah you know, what what why don't you just you know fucking shoot up uh, you damn fucking junkie see that is something I can see De Niro doing I can see De Niro doing that. You know, heroin was uh, heroin was cool before it was dangerous. I feel so. Like back in that time, I feel like it's not impossible that even De Niro could have probably tried some heroin before. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe not even shooting it in his arm, but you can take it other ways. And uh, you know, drugs. Even though it's heroin's a horrifying, scary drug. Even though you talk to some people, they'll say heroin's probably one of the most healthiest drugs to take if you take it in uh, reasonable quantities, which the fuck is that? You know what I mean? It's one of the most addictive things in the world. Dude. You don't want to yeah. even play the game of attempting to try and uh, microdose some H-bomb. You know what I mean? That's just bad news. Yeah, you don't but, want to ride the horse. But back then, unless it's Behold the Pill podcast horse, you know what I mean? Um, but back in the day, dude, I think they were more open to drugs. You know, cocaine was regular. Cocaine was almost coffee on sets. You know what I mean? So, like, the idea of uh, some of these people being caught up in heroin and just not getting strung out and really fucked up on it isn't uh, reality. You know, speaking of, you know, Tarantino, this is purely speculation. First time I ever went to New York, insane Shane McCain. We went to this dude's house who was supposedly involved in wild shit. I uh, lived in a very nice house. He was like, he was a dude who was probably like 50, 55 at the time. I don't think there was a wife there or kids, but he had a good job and he had a lot of toys and his place was really cool. And uh, I remember him telling me a story of him being in rehab and that when he was, when he was in rehab, he said Tarantino was in rehab for heroin. Um, but I don't know if he was just being a weirdo or if it's reality I've never heard those things. I know that, you know, Pulp Fiction has the heroin ties to it. And the dude was saying that's why there's so much heroin in Pulp Fiction is because, like, he danced with the lady. You know what I mean? Tarantino used to dance or whatever. Um, but, you know, I'm glad he's off it. I heard he smokes a lot of weed, which is uh, good, it's good for the soul. But um, I was always like, that always stuck in my head when he said that Ter- Terrence, Terrence Tarantino was in there for shooting dope. Uh, maybe he just snorted it. Who knows? But that always rung out to me. But, you know, because I brought up Quentin Tarantino, I'll bring up my numero uno film, which just happens to be written by Quentin Tarantino. 
And that film is a little film called Natural Born Killers, directed by Oliver Stone. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's a masterpiece. You know what I mean? I think it's very violent. It's very stylistic. Um, I remember, like, movies are more violent now, which is kind of crazy. So, like, I remember a time when I'd tell people it was a masterpiece, and they'd just go, you're a psycho, you're crazy, you're, what, what, what's wrong with you? But if you would have, if you watch Natural Born Killers and take it in for the style, what it's saying about the media, what it's saying about mental health, you know what I mean? If you, if you take all that into consideration, watch Natural Born Killers, you go, this fucking movie is way ahead of its time and a masterpiece. You know what I mean? I remember when this movie came out, I was like preteen. So like, yeah, it got me in that violence thing. It got me in the perversions, you know, all those things as you're a kid, you know, the rock and rollness of it definitely sucked me in. It had danger filled in it. My, my favorite comedian of all time doing like one of the most wild and like bizarre and, fucking downright sinister roles of his career and uh fantastic and of course Scagnetti our boy you know what I mean how could we go talk about Natch Born Killers without talking about our boy Scagnetti uh detective and author uh Jack Scagnetti of Scagnetti on Scagnetti and um very dark character you know I think I think he was writing a new book or something that's why he was researching Mallory uh, and he had a love for, for Mallory, you know, Mickey and Mallory, Julia Lewis was Mallory, Her, uh, our boy fucking Woody Harrelson is, is Mickey, really a great film. Uh, now, Tom Sizemore is this like detective who's in vet, goes to the prison when they're in prison, they get caught for a little bit. He goes to he, he has a lot of conversations with the warden, Tommy Lee Jones, and that like Alex was talking about where thinking in the yang and quite possibly one of the best roles, most colorful roles Tommy Lee Jones has ever played. Like it should be clad. This whole movie, I can't say enough good things about this movie. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, Sizemore is just a lunatic in it. You know what I mean? Like we said before, he's kind of red herring. Like where like, he's, he kind of, before you see the darkness of him, he kind of comes off like almost like a good cop trapped in a dark world. But you realize that it's a dark cop trapped in a, you know, welcome, welcomingly residing in a dark world. You know what I mean? Helping make that dark world even darker type deal. And uh, it just completes, you know, with it, with, with it, the vibe of it. Um, these boots were made for walking type type deal. You know what I mean? I know that for anybody hasn't seen it, you know, he, he kind of meets his end uh trying to rape I think Juliet Lewis's character in the cell. Before that, yeah, that's what it is. Like before it shows him a nice guy, then it shows him behind you know, uh, you know, off the clock and he like he's with a girl a hooker, a prostitute, a working lady. And uh it's kind of tragic because I believe like they're talking about like how tragic her life is and he's trying to he's like being friendly to her. And then she like opens up to him and, and is kind of like, you know, playing the game. You know, a lot of, you know, people don't become prostitutes because they want to be. It's usually over bad circumstances of, like, not having money for drugs or to eat or shit like that. So it's kind of like the breakdown of, like, you're seeing this, like, innocent girl, so to speak, 
dad is doing this thing because they have to for whatever reason and she's warming up to size more and he's kind of being you know cat and mouse but you she don't know that you know what i mean and then he eventually taught he just gets violent with her and like it's dark dude i remember being younger and just being like wow like this is a really fucking dark moment and you hate him you really want to fucking kill him at that moment you know what i mean because there's certain parts in movies where like you'll see that and again he's a dude that could go there and you would see him being wicked and you would just be like man like hawk said a couple times in this episode already he's like he just becomes this character that you want to kill and the scagnetti character is that because he's he's weaselly and he's like evil you know what I mean? He's like on a different level and he goes after women, you know what I mean? Which is like, we're in an equal world now, but back in the nineties, dude, it wasn't an equal world. You go after a woman that was, that was like going after a kid, you know what I mean? But, um, very crazy stuff, you know? And I, I really, like I said, I like the movie a lot and I think he was really great in it and everybody kind of gets their upcomings in it. You know what I mean? Even them and even Mickey and Mallory in the deleted scene, you know? But naturally, Natural Born Killers is my number one. I think it's a masterpiece of film, and Sizemore really shines in it. You know, he gets to play one of these lunatic characters, and he takes a good chunk of the movies in it. You know, some of the the glory that we see him do these smaller roles where he's in in it for a couple minutes but really matters, I think it's the same type of character, but he sticks. He's in, in, in a bigger part of the movie, and that's why I probably got to put it up there with one of his best films. And I know that... Alex and society would put Saving Private Ryan as his achievement in filmmaking, but I really think uh, Natural Born Killers uh, is an achievement, even more so than Saving Private Ryan, because Saving Private Ryan is just a typical war movie. Yeah, makes you feel for him, and you know, but at the end of the day, dude, Natural Born Killers is a true element of art. You know what I mean? It's a true, true. You know, there's you know, you're watching. You watch Saving Private Ryan to like it. You watch a Natural Born Killers to let it make up your mind watching it and then let it sit with you how it sits with you. It's true art, man. It, you know, NBK is definitely a bigger art piece than Saving Private Ryan. And if anything, if I, if, I, if, I, if I feel like I know what I feel, I feel like an actor would probably really go with the art, the more artistic film than they would the Hollywood glitz and glam. But that being said, Alexander, do you want to say anything in closing about your friend and mine? A person who we've both worked on projects but never shook a hand. Said, how you doing, Tom? How's that coffee this morning? But we were still tagged in those films with them. You know, do you have anything to say in closing or something like that? Um, not just that, uh pretty much everything I already said that uh I we both are huge fans of his, and we were both saddened by his passing. Yeah. And um, and the thing is that there are, at least from my count, 26 films that he was in that uh, are yet to be released. So I would say uh, probably in the next you know, two, three years, we'll still have films coming out with... Uh, with Tom uh, Tom Mayer, so he will live on at least for a little bit longer, and um, some of these films will live forever. We, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and like I said, I 
I always appreciated him because, you know, he had a lot of darkness and he used it uh, to great effect on film. And he gave us a lot of uh, interesting, tormented characters and uh, some uh, good guys with some darkness and some bad guys with even more darkness than we can handle. Which is really human. I think he he brought a lot of human elements to these characters. The flawedness is human. When you see your leading man who's Mr. Perfect, nothing's wrong with him, that's not human. That's more superhero. You know, you got a person with some darkness in him, and you're talking about a real-life person who lives some life, some people can relate to. That's why Sizemore was so great. Because I think you can look at his eyes and you can relate a little to something. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that's why actors like that really shine and stick with people because of the, the, the relatability and uh, the realness. There was a real raw realness to him that was uh, much appreciated. So it's a beautiful thing. So rest in peace, Tom Sizemore. You know, thanks for the yeah. entertainment. And uh, you've been blessed to finally get on the Boom Bastard cast, unfortunately, not in the physical form. But uh, we still got you on here, which is kudos. And uh, we have jokes and stuff. I, I always took Tom for a dude that would laugh at something like that. You know what I mean? And whenever I have a vibe like that with somebody, I try not to. I try not to let the sadness of the situation hold me back from making a bad joke. You know what I mean? So we're gonna close it on up. You know, if you like this episode, by all means, go listen to more episodes. We got a whole bunch of freebie Boom the Cast audio episodes for you out there. Uh, if anybody wants to get into some video episodes, a little bit more than that monthly video, then by all means, go check out our Boombastic streaming Patreon page where we got all our podcasts and film stuff up there. We got some cool tiers, uh, multiple tiers for you to pick from. A lot of cool stuff on all of them. I know that there's two new Boombastic Cast perks up there for anybody looking to get a little deeper into uh, the workings. There's a $30 perk where you can become an associate producer on Boombastic uh, film, you know, the Boombastic cast episodes that pop off every month. There's also an executive producer perk up there uh, with all types of cool stuff where you get more involved, know the guests come and come up with questions, possibly find yourself in a director's chair for the old executive producer perk and uh, good stuff. But, you know, we appreciate anybody just listening. Uh, we're just some artists trying to get by trying to make some films, make some podcasts, you know what I mean? Uh, and if you have it on your heart to support some artists that you, you maybe hopefully enjoy, then uh, head up to the, the Patreon, you know, the Boombastic streaming is always waiting with open arms for all y'all folks to pop in and say hi. But uh, with that being said, we'll catch y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. This show is a part of the Boombastic Media Network. If you enjoyed it, check out other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to watch and support the cause a little deeper, check out our Patreon page at Boombastic Streaming. That's Boombastic with two O's at Patreon.com. For uncut videos of past and present from podcasts as well as early access and all types of boombastic goodies. Our podcasts and films all in one place. Plug in. We appreciate you and your support.